Turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, please, chapter 6. The word I have on my heart uh, this morning is just simply called, Daniel had a window. Daniel had a window. Father, I thank you, God, with all my heart for the touch of heaven that resides and abides on the written text of Scripture. I thank you, Lord, that in the in your word we see a pattern of mercy, of judgment, of justice, of prayer. We see, God, that you never operate outside of who you are and what you have done. Your character is completely made known for those who want to see you. I ask you, Father, today for an anointing from heaven to be upon my life. I ask you for an anointing to be upon your congregation today, here in North Jersey, in the Annex, and those listening online. Lord, it, unless you build the house, our labor is in vain. And so, God, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to plant your word deep into our consciousness, into our hearts, Lord. And God, let it become part of the fabric of who we are as a people. Move us forward in truth. Your word is a light for our feet, a lamp for our path. The scripture tells us that the entrance of your words gives light. And so God, give us light. Give us illumination. Help us to understand who we are, what we're called to do. Give us vision beyond what we see with our natural eyes. Give us faith, God, beyond what we can believe with our natural heart. Help us to understand your character. Help us to understand why prayer still moves your hand. And we thank you for all of this, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Daniel had a window. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now Daniel's been around a long time at this point. He's not a novice in the kingdom of God. Obviously, according to this word, he's had a practice of going into his room and he's had a practice of opening his window towards Jerusalem. We'll talk about that a little more in just a moment. Suddenly, as can happen throughout history and throughout societies in this world, suddenly human people decide that they want to be God. And there'll be no other God. This king had to have had that in his heart. It's such a foolish thing that nobody can pray to anybody but you. Every once in a while throughout history... Society wants to become God. Now, in order for society to become God, they have to get rid of any of all of the opposition. May I put it that way? So you'll start to see laws enacted prohibiting prayer. The pattern of Scripture always follows. It always follows the same pattern. When you see societies starting to pass laws against prayer, whether they're written laws or whether they're just understood laws or whether the, the laws come with a perceived or actual threat, 
when it becomes illegal for you can do anything you want in a sporting game, but you can't raise your finger to God when you cross into the end zone. That's, of course, punishable. You can, do, you can do your happy dance, you can spike the ball, you can stand on your head, you can do anything you want, but you cannot point your index finger heavenward. We already know that from last year where a young football player was sanctioned because of it. You see, laws begin to be passed, prohibiting prayer. You can't pray in, in these places. You can't pray in your schools. You can't pray at sporting events. You can't pray in public. You can't pray in the workplace. You can't pray anywhere in colleges. You see, suddenly, when humanity wants to become its own god, when government now is trying to be the God of the people, you'll find this constant move of barring prayer and, in a sense, threatening consequence if anybody disobeys that. It was a decree literally forbidding prayer to anybody but the governing authority, which was the king at that particular time. Now, Daniel, knowing this, just goes home to pray with his window open towards Jerusalem. And it was a decree that you can't pray to anybody for 30 days except the king. So why not? Daniel's been praying all his life. He's, he was taken into captivity with the rest of the people as a teenager. He was made a eunuch in the king of Babylon's palace. He's been serving there. He's, he's, he's garnered favor with the governing authorities. Now an older man. He's been praying every day all of his life. Now a decree is made that if anybody prays, anybody but the king for the next 30 days, he's going to be cast into a den of lions. And so why not just take 30 days off? That's the logical question. What's the big deal? God's heard my prayer all these years, so why run the risk of the loss of liberty or life just for the purpose of getting down on your knees and opening your window towards Jerusalem? Unless there's something about that window that we don't really fully understand. What was it about that window? What was it about going up into his room that even at the possibility of losing his own life or freedom, he would not even for a day let that window be closed? Now, we have to ask ourselves, why was that? I, I'm sure there were a lot of people who compromised. I'm sure there's a lot of people who just said, well, they're the governing authorities and, the, and we're supposed to obey the governing authorities. And there's others who just say, well, what's the big deal? We're not, we don't have to pray. We can pray on the 31st day. This law will soon pass. So what's the big deal about prayer? We'll just, we'll just bend our knee to it in a sense, and we, we won't pray. But Daniel would not let that window be closed even for a day. He was an old man now. He knew something. He knew about the mercy of God. See, if you're a student of the word of God, as Daniel was, because we're going to see this a little later on, it was in the studying of the word of God, he began shortly after this incident in history, he began to understand that God had already decreed through the prophet Jeremiah that the time of discipline of God's people in Babylon was going to be only 70 years. And he recognized that they were coming close to the end of that 70-year period. It was right on the threshold of an incredible victory that this pressure to stop praying comes upon the people of God. And I want you to think about that as a church. I want you to think about our society. I want, to, I want you to think about what we're facing today. I want you to just, for a moment, just take a look at the depravity 
of our present society and what's in the news every day and how we're spiraling down faster and faster and faster. On the one hand, on the other hand, you have this seeming pressure, whether it's real or implied or whether it's physical or spiritual, there's this pressure coming against the people of God to not pray. Just close the window in a sense of prayer. Don't, don't, don't be so given to this. You, you've prayed all these years that God's either heard you now or he hasn't at all. But in the midst of the what looked to be a hopeless situation with a, a king now grasping for absolute authority, wanting to be God to the people, Daniel now goes into his room as he did every day, opens that window and begins to pray. He had to have known something in his spirit. They were closer to victory than they'd ever been before. He had to have known that even in the midst of judgment, God is always looking to show himself to be merciful. Being a student of the word of God, he would know in Psalm 107, for example, that God is merciful to people when they seemingly have lost all hope. Psalm 107 talks about a people who wander they find no city to dwell in. They're hungry and thirsty. Their soul faints in them. But when they cry to the Lord in their trouble, he comes and delivers them out of their distresses. Daniel would know that people who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and iron, as America is today, whole towns, portions of cities given over to darkness now. The opioid addiction is now becoming a national crisis. Not so much that the, prob the problem, folks, is not drugs. The problem is despair. That is the problem. The problem is hopelessness. The problem is not seeing a future, not seeing a hope, seeing nothing ahead in society. Grandma and grandpa are now being found unconscious in their cars, having taken opioid for a pain that is not really physical. It is spiritual, and it's becoming an epidemic in the country. While the scripture says they're living in this shadow of death and they're bound with affliction and iron because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Because as a society that has come before us, we lightly esteem the word of God, lightly esteem the work of God, lightly esteem the holiness of God, took the testimony of Christ that was handed to us and dealt with it very, very casually. And now we see people's hearts being brought down with labor. They're falling down and there's no one to help. But the Bible says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and broke their chains in pieces. Verse 17 of Psalm 107 says, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. Their soul abhors all manner of food and they draw near to the gates of death. But even there, they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And he goes on in the psalm to talk about those who go down to the sea in ships and who do business on great waters, those who believe that wealth is the key to personal happiness, which find themselves mounting up to the heavens and then being cast down to the depths. Their soul begins to melt because of trouble, and they come to a place where they finally realize, like Solomon did, that everything they pursued in life has been empty. It's been vain. They've achieved what they thought would bring them happiness, only to find out that they are sadder than they've ever been in their life. And then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. 
and he brings them out of their distress as he calms the storm so that the waves are still and they're quiet. And he guides them to where they've always longed to be. The psalmist says at the end of Psalm 107 and verse 43, whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Whoever is wise, whoever studies the word of God will understand that it's in the heart of God to be merciful. And when you study the Old Testament, you're going to see a pattern emerge. Before God judges a society, any society, he pulls back the veil because he's righteous. Remember in Ezekiel's day, he pulls back the veil, takes Ezekiel into the temple, shows Ezekiel what the priests are thinking about, shows the Shows Ezekiel what the, what the population is like. Shows the vileness and the darkness that's gotten into the society. He pulls back the veil to, to show the justness of why he has to judge that society. And who can argue with me today but that God is pulling back the veil in America? We are not a virtuous nation, folks. Because we say God bless you and God bless the United States of America does not make us a virtuous nation. We can sing, we can say our platitudes now we're rotten to the core, just like God showed Isaiah. From the top of the head to the soles of the feet, there's wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. The body is sick. I'm telling you, folks, this nation is sick right to its core, right into the core of the nation. And I want you to hear me on this because God is pulling back the veil on America. There's going to be a judgment on this nation, folks. We've, we've, we've crossed the line. I'm telling you, we've crossed the line as a society. There is rot everywhere. Where is truth to be found anymore? Can you believe anybody who speaks in the media any longer? Can you believe a politician that they're actually, who is left that's ruling for the good of the people? Can you even trust the house of God that what you're hearing in many places is the word of God anymore? Or is it just some fluff making people feel good as we head off into judgment? Now God is pulling back the veil, just as he did in Ezekiel's day. But listen, listen. He says it to Ezekiel, but I sought for a man that I should not have to judge the nation. When you study scripture, you will see that even in the midst of judgment, God longs to show himself to be merciful. And the mercy of God, the hand of God, whenever you look throughout history, whenever there has been a spiritual awakening, one more time in a nation, it can always be traced back to somebody, some church, some individual, some group have given themselves to prayer. They've stood in the gap for the nation. They've chosen to believe that in the midst of deserving judgment, God can once again show mercy. And so it was with Daniel. Daniel had an open window into the mercy of God. He understood something because he was a student of the word of God. He understood something. He had these texts. He could study them and he knew that God would show himself merciful even if we find ourselves in a position of deserving his judgment. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, beginning at verse 36. Solomon prayed when the temple was dedicated in Jerusalem. Those days where the glory of God was there. Those days of a glorious beginning. Those days where the presence of God came down so powerfully in the temple that people could not even stand 
to speak. The days when God visited New York City, folks, in 1857 and tens and tens of thousands of people came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Houses of God were filled everywhere with praying people. If you, if you don't know it, search your history. The Lord once visited the city in a powerful, powerful way. But they dealt casually with this glorious presence of God and ended up taken into captivity in Babylon, where they are now, where Daniel is praying before his open window. But look at the scripture that Daniel had in chapter 6 of Second Chronicles, beginning at verse 36, Solomon said, when they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to a land far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive, in other words, when they finally wake up and begin to realize, what have we done? Why have we abandoned God? Why are we letting Civil society slipped through our fingers. Why are we letting our families be destroyed? Why are we letting our children be lied to in their schools and confused even about their gender? Why are we doing this? Why are we promoting murder in the womb? What is wrong with us as a people? What has happened to us? Why are we letting light and treacherous people into the pulpits of our churches in the nation, letting them entertain us? And pacify us while the whole nation perishes around us. What has happened to us? If they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you. In other words, when they begin to pray in the land of their captivity saying, we have sinned, we've done wrong, we've committed wickedness. And they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity where they've been carried away captive and pray towards their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and towards the temple which I built for your name. Then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, oh my God, this is Solomon's prayer. I pray, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. So Solomon's prayer was, God, if the people deal treacherously with you, and because of their treacherous dealing, end up under judgment. And if they're carried away into a place that's far away from this house where you're glorious, this place where you have chosen to be and to answer prayer, if they come to themselves in that place and begin to pray again, Solomon said, oh God, hear their prayer. And no matter how far away they are, how strong the armies might be that have held them captive, bring them home. That's what he was praying. Bring them home when they begin to pray. Bring them back to what they've left behind. Now that same night, in chapter 7, verse 12, it says, The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears will be listening to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I've chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. You see, this was Daniel's open window. Daniel had been praying this since he was a young man. He, he discovered in the text of Scripture the mercy of God. And he was following to a, a letter, in a sense, what God had revealed to him. 
that in the place of your captivity, if you will look towards Jerusalem, because that was the instruction they were given, even in the land of your captivity, and you begin to pray, there's a great chance that you will be released again and brought home. And Daniel saw this. There had to be something in this man's heart that said, we are closer than we've ever been. We are close to freedom. I, I kind of feel in my heart that when, when all hell started to come against prayer, that was almost the confirmation in Daniel's heart. Oh God, you are about to answer us. I can't quit now. Even if they threaten to throw me in the lion's den, I've got to keep praying. I've got to be willing to pay the price to pray and to stand up and to be a believer in the actual true one and living God. And so the day, the very hour the decree was signed, now Daniel had access to the king's court. He would know. He would have watched that thing being signed. The, the very moment it was signed, he went home. He went to his upper room, opened his window towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as his custom was since his early days. I can hear him praying, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You put it in my heart to believe that you're going to send your people home. You put it in my heart to believe, oh God, that you're going to allow them to rebuild the testimony of your temple, which has been torn down by neglect. I, God, you put it in my heart to believe that the glory of this second temple would be greater than the glory of the former. God Almighty, it's not by power, it's not by might, it's by your spirit, Lord. God, for the hearts of kings are in your hand, and you can move the hearts of kings in whatever direction you choose to move them. And so, Lord, I'm yielding my life to this purpose because I want your name to be glorified on the earth again. I want your people to know the freedom. God, I'm tired of hearing about the captivity. I'm tired of the broken homes. I'm, I'm tired of the addictions. I'm tired of the hopelessness because that's not the portion for your people. I'm tired of the light and treacherous preachers that caused this thing to happen in the first place in your nation and among your people. Oh God, I'm asking you to bring the people home and I don't care what it costs me. I'm not going to close the window because I believe we're closer than we've ever been before. Now we know there was a law that hadn't been passed and when those who succeeded in causing the king to pass this ridiculous law found out that Daniel was praying, they brought that situation to the king and according to the law of the Medes and Persians, he had to be cast into the lion's den. You know, he could have been tempted to think, is this your reward, Lord, for those who stand in the gap and fight for the nation? Is this what has to happen? He has no idea. You see, folks, listen, the ways of the Lord are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes what looks to be a disaster is actually a victory. It's truly amazing. God takes, this man is allowed by God to be taken captive because of prayer. He's lowered into the lion's den. He's there overnight. And God sends an angel and shuts the mouths of all the lions around him. It's truly amazing. In the morning, the king can't sleep that night. He comes to the, the lion's den. He comes there with a lamentable voice because he loved Daniel and he knew what he had done was wrong. He said, oh, Daniel, has your God been able to preserve your life? And Daniel from beneath the stone that sealed that cave could say, yes, king, he has, for I've done you no harm. I've 
I've not stood against you. I've not stood against your kingdom. There's a kingdom higher than your kingdom. There's a God higher than you who answers prayer. And so Darius took him out of the, that lion's den and just lowered in the men who had caused him to be put there in the first place. And the Bible says the lions broke all their bones before they even got to the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote these words. Listen carefully to this. It's chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. To all peoples, nations, and languages in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion in my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And in verse 28, the last verse of Daniel chapter 6 says, So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In other words, Daniel is lifted up because he honored God and God honored him. He's given a place of deeper access than he had before to the hearts of kings. And the reputation of what God did would have preceded him and would have traveled with him after the Darius' reign came to an end and Cyrus the Persian takes over the Medo-Persian kingdom. Most who study these texts believe that Daniel was probably the instrument that influenced Cyrus, the king of Medo-Persia, to suddenly, one day, write a decree saying whoever wants to get up and go home, back to Jerusalem, whoever wants to rebuild the temple, we will let you go we will give you protection. We will give you permi permission and provision. And may God be with you as you rebuild the testimony of this God in the earth. A heathen king. That's why Psalm 126 about this moment says, When the Lord turned again our captivity, we were like those that dreamed. We never believed it could happen. It happened suddenly. It was in a day. Suddenly. Suddenly a decree is issued. Suddenly. God can do that today, folks, just like he did it back then. Suddenly. Suddenly. Not so much a physical decree because it wouldn't mean much to anybody today. But suddenly a decree is written in the spirit. Suddenly something is written in the hearts of God's people. Get up and go home. Get up and get back into the word of God. Get up and get back into the work of God. Get up and get back into the righteousness of living for God. Get up and begin to walk God's way. Go back and out of the ruins, begin to build a testimony of who God is in the nation one more time. God will be with you. God will give you strength. God will give you the resource. God will give you the power. God, God, God will give you the power to rebuild the testimony that has fallen in the nation. And I believe as the prophets before said that the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the former. I believe that with all my heart. Oh, thank God for yesterday. Thank God for what the Lord did in New York City in 1857. But I believe what God is about to do is going to be greater than what was done in 1857. I believe that with all my heart. That's why we need to pray like we've never prayed before. It's time to pray. It's time to press in. It's time to open that window into God's mercy. I feel like I have an open window into something.
It's not a particular revelation that nobody else can have. It's just an understanding of how merciful God is. What he's willing to do. Why he sent his son to a cross. Why he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. The heart of God is to forgive and restore and bring back to former glory. That's why all hell will come against you now to try to stop you from praying. That's why all hell will try to make you stay home. That's why hell will try to make you sleepy. That's why you'll find yourself threatened on every turn when you make the choice to pray and to live like a Christian. But we're living on the edge of one of two things, judgment or mercy, perhaps both. But by the grace of God, we're going to live to no mercy in our generation. By God's grace, I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to give this generation over to darkness. I'm not willing that they should die in their sin and go to an eternal hell without God. I'm simply not willing to let them go. I know that prayer moves the hand of God. We deserve judgment, but God will give us mercy. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to close with this. It was in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. You see, Daniel is saying, I, I looked into the word of God and I saw the promise of freedom. I saw that we deserve judgment, but mercy triumphs over it. I saw that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes again in the morning. I saw something in the word of God. You see, the more you study the word of God, the more you become aware of his character. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I can see Daniel once again going up into his room. He's done it before when laws were passed. He's done it after he came out of the lion's den. Now he's seeing something in the word of God and he's doing it again. He goes up into his room and that window that's open towards the promise of God's mercy and restoration for a nation. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, Oh Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Look at verse 5. He says, We have sinned and committed iniquity. We've done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. In other words, you made it clear, but we turned away from it. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and to our princes, to our fathers and to all the people of the land. In other words, God, you warned us. You warned us that we would be taken captive, but we wouldn't listen. We set our judgment above the word of God and those who spoke for God. O Lord, verse 7, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, to those near and far off in all the countries where you've driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they've committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, to our princes, our fathers, because we've sinned against you. In other words, we're a shameful nation now in America because we've sinned against God. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and to us belongs shame. But in verse 9 it says, to the Lord our God belongs mercy. And forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. 
God, we deserve the place that we are. We deserve what we have become. We deserve the captivity that's come into our borders. That's what we deserve. But you deserve mercy and forgiveness, even though we have rebelled against you. We've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his ways, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel transgressed your law and has departed so as to not obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. And he's confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. Verse 15, and now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem your holy mountain because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, O God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. God, Daniel said, we can't present anything to you. We are truly humbled before you. Remember, he said, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Daniel remembered this. He was a student of the word of God. And so in humility, Daniel was not part of the rebellion. Daniel was just a child when he was taken captive. He had lived faithfully all of his life. And he, but he, when he went to prayer, he knew that humility was a prerequisite to God moving his hand once again for the nation. And he said, we don't present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. And if anybody in the nation could have had a, a list or a litany, Daniel could have said, God, remember, I wouldn't eat the king's food. Remember that, Lord. Remember, I, I stood up when others bowed down. Remember, Lord, I went into the lion's den when others caved under the laws of not praying. But Daniel knew pride does not move the hand of God. And it's not about our accomplishments. It's about his mercy. We do not present our prayers before you because of any of things that we have done. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But because of your great mercy, O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. And what Daniel was saying, Lord, it's your name that's being dragged through the mud, not ours. Your, your great name that deserves to be praised and will be for all of eternity. Your name 
under which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. And we are supposed to be representing you in the earth. There should be a trembling in the hearts of the people when they see your presence in our lives and they see your provision and strength, which you are willing to give to us as we rise up again to build and to believe for your kingdom's sake and for the people's sake. Oh God, for your holy name's sake. We don't ask you to do this, Lord, for our sakes, but for your name's sake, Lord. Let us rise up again and build. God, empower us. Let the glory of this latter temple be greater than the former. Oh, Jesus Christ, we thank you for everything that you have done for us in the days gone by. We thank you for the history of righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for the good times and the bad times. We thank you, Lord, for the moments in our history when we may have honored you. Oh, Jesus Christ, we ask you to have mercy, Lord, for your holy name's sake and for your people's sake. Lord, would you revive us again? Would you pick us up again, God? Would you give us the power to come home and live for you and serve you? Would you make us able workers in your vineyard? Would you give us the power, oh God, to speak and move the hearts of men and women and children out of darkness and into the life and light? which you promised to them through Jesus Christ. Would you give us each man, each woman here in this sanctuary today and those that are hearing my voice, God, would you give all of us an open window of understanding your power and your willingness to show mercy. Show mercy to our homes, God. Show mercy to our children. Show mercy to our neighbors and our families. Oh, God. Show mercy, Lord. Even if it looks hopeless, it doesn't matter, Lord. You moved the heart of a heathen king to write a law that was unthinkable and to let your people go home. You've proven time and again throughout Scripture that you are God. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, God, give us an open window again. Give us hearts of faith to believe. Courage to pray like we've never prayed before. Faith, God, even if it's only such as a mustard seed, let us bring it to you, Lord, that you can cause it to grow and bring a great victory from it. Oh, God, deliver us from unbelief. Deliver us, Lord Jesus Christ, from the despair and the lethargy of this generation. Make us fighters, oh God, for what is right and what is true. Give us the courage of a Daniel, Lord. No matter who tells us we can't do what, give us the courage of a Daniel. God, from studying your word, to see your mercy and to believe that you are more than willing to be merciful again. Father, we thank you for this, Lord, with all of our heart, God. We give you all the praise for it and all the glory. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. God Almighty, I want to encourage you this morning, everyone who's here, ask God to give you an open window again. An open window to believe for yourself first if you've fallen. If you feel like the testimony of God in your life is somehow diminished or is just so much rubble you don't know where you're ever going to start to build again. Remember, God can write a decree and that decree comes with protection, provision, empowerment and a clear journey. God can write a decree over your life and give you the power to rebuild again. For those that are discouraged because of your home, your family, your children, Ask the Lord again for an open window and the, 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 the courage not to give up. Folks, when it looks the worst, that's usually when the victory is about to come. When it's the darkest.
when it looks like everything is going down, when it looks like there's no hope for the future, quite often that's just the point where human resource has run out and the kingdom of God has taken over. That's the point where God puts a song inside and a laughter in your mouth and a joy in your heart that causes the heathen around you to say, look what God has done. Ask the Lord for an open window to believe for your neighborhood, for your apartment building, for God to put power in your speech and and tenderness in your touch, healing in your hands. Ask God for that open window to be able to make a difference in this generation. And lastly, ask God for the courage to believe that as we pray, he can send an awakening to a nation so destitute and bankrupt as ours that he can send a spiritual awakening again. He's pulling back the veil because he wants somebody to open the window. If you have not been praying, say, God, would you give me the courage to go into my upper room, wherever that is, and open my window towards your mercy and begin to pray with thanksgiving as Daniel did and believe and not give up. Daniel prayed his whole life. And when he was now late into probably his 80s, he got to see the victory that he had prayed for for so many years. 70 years believing God. 70 years going up to that upper room. 70 years opening his window. And then suddenly God just opens the book and he realizes that it's come to an end. The time of mercy and rebuilding has come. Father God, in Jesus' name, help us, Lord. God, for we can't even go to the upper room without your strength. We can't even find the window unless you show it to us, Lord. We would never understand your mercy, Lord, unless you reveal it to us in your word. Deliver us, God, from a light, treacherous Christianity that leads nowhere, produces nothing for your kingdom. God, help us to become students of your word. Help us to become people of prayer, Lord, who understand your desire to show mercy. Oh, Jesus Christ, I ask you for a touch of heaven on this congregation today, Lord. God, here we are, no different than the people in the upper room were. We feel many like failures. Lord God, we have nothing to present before you. Lord, we've had 30 years in this church of your presence, but without your presence, it would be 30 years of nothing. It's just been you that's made the difference, Lord. And so, God, lead us, guide us now. Draw us deeper than we've ever gone before. Help us to pray, Lord. Help us to take seriously this walk with you, Lord, especially now at this time. We ask you, Lord, to give us an open window as a people, individually and collectively as a church body. And we thank you for it, oh God, in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to give an altar call. Thank you, Lord. For anybody here that just says, Pastor, I want that open window. I want the faith that Daniel had. I don't want to be a self-consumed Christian. I want to stand in the gap for people that are going to die without the knowledge of God. God, would you, I'm willing, but Lord, you've got to put it in my heart because I'm not going to do it if you don't put it there. And if that's the cry of your heart, because it's the cry of mine, I'll tell you straight out, it's the cry of my heart more than anything now. God, give me the courage to open the window. Give me the courage to pray, no matter who says I shouldn't. No matter what voice comes against me, give me the courage to pray. And show me your mercy. God, show me your mercy. Open the text of the scripture to me. May I see it, God. And help me to start thanking you for being merciful to this generation. Would you stand, please? And if that's you, would you just come with these that have already come? 
and we're going to pray after we worship for a couple of minutes together. Lord God, we just come before you today, and we just ask you right now, Lord, this is not a time for us to shrink back, God. It's a time for us to open our windows, God, and lift up our voices, Lord. We're asking for revival on this nation, God. Help us to stand strong, Lord God. Help us, oh God, not to fear, Lord God, because you walk with us, Lord. You might cast us into the lion's den, God, but we know, Lord, that you are mighty, oh God, to save. You are mighty to save, oh God. And Lord, we just love you today, God, and we just praise your holy name, and we know that you will walk through us no matter what you bring us through. God, you are with us in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I pray that you would meet each and every one of us today, Lord God, wherever we are, Lord God, in our walk with you, that you'd give us courage, Lord Jesus, to stand for you in this world, Lord. Lord, we, I pray that you would just draw us closer to you causing an incredible passion to raise up in our own hearts, Lord God, for you, Lord. Lord, guide us and direct us all the days of our lives, Lord God. But Lord God, give us that courage, Lord. Lord, cause a revival, Lord Jesus, and start it right in our own hearts, Lord God. A spiritual awakening, Lord Jesus. Lord, you are amazing and you do this all the time within our own hearts and cause a salvation Lord God that is only unto you Lord Lord I pray God that you would uh, do a mighty work in each of our hearts today Lord God in your name we pray amen Father we just thank you so much Lord for exhorting my heart and every heart that's here, Lord, to believe you. To You've given us an open window as a church, Lord. You've given us a worldwide prayer meeting. A large window into your mercy. Give us the grace, Lord, to believe you, God, for not just New York City, but for this world, Lord. That you would just sweep a multitude, too numerous to count, of souls into your kingdom. For your holy name's sake, Lord, we ask this. Not for our sakes, oh God, but for your holy name's sake, Lord. Oh, Jesus Christ, all-powerful, all-merciful God, Lord, thank you for moving upon us, Lord, to stand in the gap for this nation at this time. Give us the grace to occupy this place honorably. Thank you for it, Lord, with everything in us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.